Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, hey, uh, welcome once again, those of you here in the room and, and those of you online. We're super glad that you have joined us. Uh, if you are new to Central, we've been studying our way through this amazing book of the Bible called Romans. And really at the heart of the book of Romans is this understanding of salvation. Oftentimes we think of salvation in, in our Christian worldview as, as I, I, I get saved and then like one day I go to heaven when I die. And, and there's certainly elements of truth in that understanding, but, but Paul's unpacking much much deeper understanding of what salvation is, what it represents, how can we experience salvation, what does salvation even mean, and, and on and on. So we've been studying our way through this amazing book of, of Romans. And ultimately, Paul lays out for us that salvation is experienced in three parts, three parts of, of salvation for you to experience in your life. And the first part that Paul unpacks for us is, is this idea of justification. And we're going to talk about what that means. But, but this takes place the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the moment you, you surrender your life to Jesus. And I, I love this quote by um, uh, uh, this, this Stanford professor. And he said that, that faith is not, not belief without proof, but faith is, is belief without reservation. It's surrender without reservation. But there's proof to that. And so, so anyway, we come to this place of faith and we experience justification. That takes place in the past when you surrender your life to Jesus and it's amazing. Now, right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in this process of sanctification. We're going to talk about what that means today. And one day, whenever our bodies wear out, there is glorification in your future. And so Paul unpacks justifications, Romans 3, 4, and 5, talks about sanctifications, Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and then Romans chapter 8, he's going to lay out for us this wonderful news of, of glorification for all of eternity, and it is super exciting. So that's what Paul is, is laying out for us of what, what does it mean to experience salvation. And so if you've been with us, maybe we, you, you've heard us talk about justification, and you might be like, dude, we get it, like. Can we move on to another topic already? Well, Paul keeps coming back to this idea of justification. And so let me just refresh our memories. For those of you who are new, this might be new for you. For those of you who have been with us, this, this is going to be um, a reminder. But justification, here's what justification is. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sins. And, and then he credits to them the righteousness of Christ and all that's yours when through faith you believe. So check this out. The moment you experience salvation, the moment you say, say, Jesus, I'm in, here's my life, I'm in, I'm on. In that moment, you're forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, dealt with on the cross. Amazing truth. Not only that, but he clothes you, not in your own righteousness. You don't have, you can't earn it. You, we, we, can't, we can't earn right stand with God, but he clothes us, he credits to your account, he dumps the perfect righteousness of Christ into your life on your account. That's how you can have a relationship with God. It's amazing, amazing reality. And all that's yours through faith when you believe. And that is the best news. And so some of you, like we were at lunch last week after church and Tiffany's kind of like, Romans is great and all, but I get it. Like salvation, okay. Like, but but at, at the same time, like, like, like do we really get it? Do, do, do we really get it? Because if you do, if you understand justification, it literally changes everything. It changes the way you talk to God. It changes your, your perspective of whenever you, you, you engage in sin. How do you process that? It changes everything the way you relate to the world around us. 
how we interact with people who don't yet know Jesus because we have this understanding that this too can be true for our family. This too can be true for our coworkers. This can be true for our neighbors, our friends. Like it, it motivates us, it compels us to live differently. Justification, it changes, it changes everything. And some people think, well, okay, well, if, I, if this is true, if all my sin, past, present, and future, forgiven, if I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ and I can't earn that, I can't, like, perform for that, and Tim, if you teach that, then people are going to live however they want to. And I think people thought the same thing about Paul. And so Paul anticipates that line of thinking, and, and he says this, Romans 6.1, 6.15, the, the book of uh, chapter 6 of Romans broken down into two sections, and Paul frames up those two sections with the same question. Are we to continue in sin? Because we've been justified, because that's true, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And then, then the second half, he says, are we to continue in sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And he answers that question in two different places with the same response, and here it is, by no means. By no means. Like, don't even allow that thinking to enter your mind. And Paul's going to unpack for us why we should strive to live for God in a way that, that is, is free from sin. And, and he does that by drawing three contrasts. Three contrasts. And the first contrast is this contrast of living under law versus living under grace. Second contrast that we talked about last week is, is being a slave to sin, allowing sin to be our master. Or, or submitting to Jesus and allowing, uh, being, being a, a slave to righteousness, Paul would say. Like, like allowing right living to be the guide of life. And we talked about those first two last week. This week we're talking about this third contrast. The contrast of the wages of sin versus the gift of God. And so let's, let's jump in today. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. And if you would do me a favor, for those of you in the room, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word as we read this out loud? For those of you online, feel free to stand up as well. Unless you're driving in your car somewhere, don't do that. Um, but whenever we approach these words in red, I want to invite you to read those out loud, really bold, really proud with me. So here's what Paul says, Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to? There's our word. And its end is? So sanctification produces some stuff. And Paul says it actually produces eternal life. And we're going to talk about what that means. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is? Eternal life. And how do we experience eternal life? Through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, this is the word of the Lord for us today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, God, I pray that you would help us to have understanding of this truth today. That, God, you would open our eyes to see it. That you'd open our minds to receive it. And that, that God, it would change us. Change who we are. And we'd be more like you, Jesus. We'd live life more like you live it so we can experience the abundant life that you promised us. I pray you do that for your church today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You go ahead and have a seat. So Paul talks to us about this interesting word. So, so some kind of deep into the pool stuff. He talked about justification. We talked about what that means. Now he's talking about this another theological word, sanctification, which you just don't use those words typically in everyday vernacular. And so, so what does sanctification mean? Here's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the process and in your notes, you have this definition. You might circle that word process. Because sometimes we feel like, man, I've, I've committed my life to Jesus. Jesus, I heard you change a life. 
But God, why aren't you changing me? Well, here's what you need to know. It's a process. Sanctification is a process whereby the believer becomes more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. The more we become like Jesus, the more we, our life is in alignment with Jesus, the more alive we become. And that's why Jesus said, man, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But the way you experience that promise is by aligning your life with Jesus. Become more like Jesus or we could say you become more holy. And as a result of God's work in them, so God's doing a work, but not only that, and their obedience to God's God's word. And so I thought I'd try to illustrate it like this because sanctification is kind of complex. And so, so there's justification. I think as we talk about sanctification, it's important to remember justification, that we're not made right by God by, by, by living according to a set of laws or rules. But, but the more we become like Jesus, the more we experience sanctification, the more alive we become. So this is really for your, your benefit. And so, so this, let's just say this represents my life. Okay, so I've, I've blown it. And not just once, but multiple times. And what was once clean is now contaminated. And after multiple years of wrong thinking in my mind, thinking this map of life would bring me life, actually brought, brought death. But now that I've, I've come to Jesus and I've surrendered my life to him, I say, Jesus, I'm going to live not by my old maps in my mind, but God, I'm going to use this as my map for my life. To, I'm not going to trust my own internal compass. God, I'm trusting your word. And God, what your word says, I'm going to do it. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit and your obedience to his word begins to pour into your life. It begins to fill your life. And we get a little taste of it. And we say, wow, that that feels like freedom. And that was my experience. And I thought, man, if I, maybe the more I apply your word to my life, maybe the more freedom I'll experience. And it is the Holy Spirit being poured out into your life. And it is your purposing in your heart. I'm going to know your word and I'm going to apply it to my life. And the more you do that, the longer you do that, the more contaminants are removed from your life. The more God renews your mind with truth. And the more freedom, therefore, that you begin to experience. So you say, Holy Spirit, I just need more of you. Would you fill me to overflowing? God, I just want to, whatever your word says, I'm going to do it, Lord. Would you make me into a new person? And the more the Holy Spirit's poured into your life, the more you commit to following God's word in your life, listen, the, the holier or the more like Jesus you become. And what was once contaminated is now delicious. And that is a visual of sanctification. So, 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 so connect that with this. And my question is, don't you want that? I, I want that. But, but I've trusted, the fact is I've trusted the wrong maps and my path to life. We all want the same thing. We want life overflowing with life. But I thought it would be this. I thought it would be that. But what I've come to realize is God, as I align my life with your word, What I've always longed for is beginning to take shape in my heart, in my life, and in my experience. And that is sanctification. So Romans 6.22 says, but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. And we've talked about this. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it's it's worth some repetition. And it's important for us when we come to God to have this understanding that say, God, I've lived life on my own terms. And God, I've, I've, been, I've been broken by sin, but God, I don't want to live that life anymore. So God, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I surrender to you. 
And that's what repentance is. Repentance is simply saying, I, I operated my life from these old maps that I thought would bring me life, but actually brought bondage. So God, I'm not going to navigate my life based on those old maps. I'm turning to you and whatever you, you say, God, that's what I want. And again, we're imperfect people in progress. We haven't arrived here yet, but, but we're, we're, we're striving for it. We've purposed in our hearts. God, if your word says it, I'm going to do it. And, and in that sense, we've allowed rights, we've allowed God to be our master, is what Paul's, Paul's saying. That's where Christianity begins. Martin Luther called it this great exchange, where I come to God with my brokenness, and he gives me his wholeness. I come to, to God with my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. It's this great exchange, and all that's yours because of the cross. Now, once you, you're on that journey, once you're in that, that process, once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, Paul says there's some fruit that begins to get produced from your life. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, the striving to live more and more like Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit's in you. He, he changes your heart. He opens your mind to the scriptures and the truth of who God is. That leads to this process of, of sanctification. And what's the end of sanctification? It's life. Not just a little bit of life, but eternal life. And we're going to talk about what that means today. And, and here's just something to consider. If, if the fruit of our life is not looking more and more like Jesus, then we just have to question what's at the root of our life. Because if the root of your life is Jesus, then the fruit of the tree will be actions, thoughts, words, behaviors, patience. That's more like Jesus. And, and Paul lays that out in Galatians. What, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. More loving like Jesus, more love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And all those things should be increasing in our life. And again, it's important to remember in the sanctification process that you've already been justified. And so when you don't live up to those expectations of yourself or, or of the life of Jesus, remember your right standing with God was never based on your performance in the first place. I love the way the message paraphrase puts this. Uh, Romans 6.22, but, but now that you have found that you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delights of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. And, and can we just pause right there? Because it is a surprise. Because I thought, man, whenever I indulge in this, that would be delight. And what I found is it led to my bondage. But whenever I, I submitted to God and allowed, like, God, I'm align my life with your words, what I found was it actually brought me life. And what a surprise it was, to be honest. And if you've never purposed in your heart, God, I'm going to live according to your word, then, then you just haven't experienced it yet. And I'm inviting you into that process. God's inviting you into that process because this is where, where life's found. What a surprise. And then, then Eugene Peterson, he, he describes eternal life in this way, a whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Whole, healed, life. Don't you want it? The Bible says that's through this process that we label sanctification. Now, Paul gives us a summary of everything he's taught in Romans up to this point. So, so let there be weight to these words. Because he's summarizing everything in the book of Romans up to now in this one verse, Romans 6, 23. So this is such a, an anchor verse. This is a pillar verse. In the four spiritual laws, you'll find this verse. In the Romans road, you'll find this verse. This is an anchor. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin, this is a summary. For the wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In this one passage, Paul is not only summarizing everything he's taught us already, but he's defining for us the difference between sin and grace. And Paul's going to use three areas of distinction, three areas of distinction between sin and grace. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Uh, the first distinction, there, there are two different masters. You just need to know this. There are two different masters. Paul says this, Romans 6.23, let's bring up the whole verse. It says, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The idea here is that there are, there are two different masters. One master pays wages that you earn. The other gives gifts that you do not earn. One gives, gives, gives a wage that results in death. One gives a gift that results in eternal life. There are two masters, and you can allow sin to be your master. You can allow God to be your master, but that is your choice. Paul's going to talk about how, how he's already taught us really how, how a slave can be our, our master. Romans 6, 16 says, don't you realize that when you become, a, uh, you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. So whatever you obey, that's, that, that's really your master. You can choose to be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Romans 6, 17, uh, you were once slaves of sin. Romans 6, 20, when you were slaves to sin. The idea here is that there are two different masters, a slave of God or a slave and serve sin as, as your master. And so Paul talks repeatedly throughout this book of Romans that there are two different groups of people. And this is another place where he's making that distinction. Paul's saying that, that people will voluntarily serve sin by, by living life for themselves or they'll voluntarily serve God and live in service of, of others. And there really is no middle ground. And Jesus would affirm that. Here's what Jesus said, Romans, or sorry, Matthew 6, uh, 24 says this, uh, no one can serve two masters. You just can't do it. There's no, there's no middle ground. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. So the first thing Romans 6, 23 tells us is that there are two masters, and the good news is you get to choose. You get to choose. So which one do you want to choose? You can serve sin, be a slave to that, or you can serve God. But you need to know there are wages, there are different benefits to both. And that's our second point. There are two different benefits. So two different masters, two different benefits. Here it is again. The wages of sin is, is death. Free gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin pays wages. Sin pays wages. God gives gifts. Both masters offer benefits. When you're signing up for something, it's important for you to know the benefits. Before you take a new job, you're probably like, that's great. What are the benefits? I'm going to make this amount of money. Is there insurance included? What, what are the benefits? So it's just good for us to know the benefits. And, and Paul lays out that, that sin, it pays wages. Now, I think we all have an understanding of what wages are, but just for the sake of, of clarity, uh, when you take a job, you're saying, hey, I'll do A, B, and C, and D. And your employer says, great, I'll pay. If you do that, I'll pay you this amount right? And once you do the work, they owe that to you. They're, they're indebted to you. If they don't pay you, the proof of that is if they don't pay, you can take them to court and make them pay you, right? They, the wages of sin, it, they, it, something's owed to you in that moment. 
That's what Paul's saying. But with God, it's different. God gives gifts. Now, now gifts are not like wages. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. The gift is 100% contingent on, on the giver's generosity, on the giver's love for you. How many of you have ever taken someone to court because you're like, they did not provide me a birthday gift on my birthday, right? That's absurd, right? We, we, don't, we can't sue someone for a gift they did not give. If, if you do, like the judge is just going to dismiss the case and he's probably going to try to put you in a padded room because it's not normal. It's not normal. But sin pays wages. On the other hand, God gives gifts. And we were created by God to be loved by God and to receive gifts from him. But when sin entered our world, it not only destroyed God's original design, sin desires to destroy you. Sin desires to, to master you. From the very beginning, we see this. Uh, in the beginning, Genesis, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind. And, and not only does it contaminate the human race, distort the human race, it, it, it distorts, it contaminates, it destroyed creation. And so now we currently see devastation, earthquakes, tornadoes, bad things in creation, flooding happening. It was never intended to be that way, but it's part of the fall. And, and Romans chapter 8 is going to talk about how, how creation itself longs to be liberated. But right now it's under this oppression from, from Genesis chapter 3. But then Adam and Eve, the first man, first woman, they have, have two sons, Cain and Abel. And so here's what I want you to consider. Cain kills Abel before social media, before video games, before guns, before anything was ever invented that we point the finger at these days. Cain kills Abel. Why? Sin. And here's what God says after Cain kills Abel, sin is crouching at your door. And this is true for you, it's true for me. And it's eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Check this out. If you don't master sin, sin will master you. Sin is a force. It's not just something I do that separates me from God, although that's true. But sin is much more powerful than that. It's much, it permeates much deeper than that. It wants to destroy you. It wants to control you. It wants to warp your thinking and therefore control your actions. God wants to give you good gifts, but sin wants to deal you wages and wages of death. And sin, let's just be honest, sin is a cruel mistress because sin looks so appealing. And your enemy knows that. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever gone fishing, uh, but, but if you've gone fishing, the way you fish for a shark and the way you fish for a trout are very different. Shark bait and trout bait are not the same. The way you fish for a catfish and the way you fish for a bass, not the same. They like very different items. But the principle's same for all of them. That they take something that that fish wants to eat, that that fish consumes on a regular basis, and it makes it look good to the eyes. It makes it men think, man, if I eat that, that's gonna, that's gonna really satisfy. It sounds really nice. And then what happens? Whenever you catch that fish, before that fish knows it, it's filleted and on your grill for dinner, right? You would need to know the enemy of your soul has a lure with you in mind. And what attracts you might not attract the person next to you, just like shark bait and trout bait are different. And oftentimes we say, how could they fall for that lure? That is disgusting. All the while he's dangling something very appetizing to you. 
And when you bite it, seasoned, filleted on the grill. It's true. It's just a principle that holds true across the board. And so sin in that sense looks very appealing. And here's what the enemy does. He plays on your God-given desire for pleasure, for happiness. But he uses a wrong map, a deceptive map to get you there. And sin pays wages. And so he's like, well, okay, what, what are some of sin's wages? We're going to talk a little bit more granular now, and then we're going to talk higher level in a moment. But here's some of the wages that sin pays. The wages of sin is death. Here's what it is. Death of confidence, you better believe it. Death of dreams, death of relationships, death of trust, death of finances, death of joy, death of peace, order, love, patience, contentment, unity. How, how, does, how does the enemy destroy unity in a church, in a family? Seeds of gossip, seeds of discontent, seeds of bitterness. Creates, creates wedges, death of kindness, death of strength. So you would need to know that sin will sap your strength. And, and I want to camp out on this last one for a moment because we don't think of this a whole lot. We don't think of sin in this way. But, but here's what... Ephesians 6, 10 says, Paul writes this. He says, finally, be strong. It's like imperative for you to be strong in your walk with Jesus. Because you need to know you have a very real enemy of your soul. And the enemy of your soul, he's dangling, appealing lures. And when you bite it, it's just going to bring death to all those areas. But he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You need to know you're in a battle, so you got to put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not with your neighbor. It's not with your spouse. You might think it is, but it, your struggles against flesh, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God. Listen, the, God wants you to be strong. The enemy wants to make you weak. And how does he weaken you? He weakens you by dangling, appealing lures to get you to bite at them and, and diminish your strength so you cannot reach your God-given potential and you constantly feel fatigued. We could put it this way. Sin pays wages because like work, sin fatigues us. Just like your work, you're out in the field working all day, you're, you're doing construction work, you're, you're, you're writing code, whatever you're doing, it, it, has a, it wears you down. And like work, sin drains us, sin fatigues us. Might not happen immediately. Hebrews says that, that there's certainly an element of pleasure of sin for a season, but it diminishes you, it depletes you. Every time a person sins, something's lost, something's diminished, something's lessened. Every time you lie, there's less truth in you. Every time you give into bitterness, you're, you're diminished. Your vitality is, is lessened. Every time you give into gossip, trust is diminished. Every time you give into greed, contentment is diminished. And we could go on and on and on. But whatever your lure is, you would need to know that when you bite it, life is diminished. And that's exhausting. Psalm 32.4, this is a psalm of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so King David, this, this good dude, uh, sees this woman that's very attractive, and they, they have sex and, and have uh, a baby outside of marriage, and, like, it's, 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 he has her husband killed. Like, it's 
a, a tragic story, a, a very real black eye in David's lineage. And he, he records how he felt in that season. Psalm 32, verse 4, he says, and For day and night your hand was heavy. It was like a weight on my shoulder. It was heavy upon me. And my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's just draining. I, some people are like, well, I love summer. Well, I do too. Uh, but, but if you've worked out in the summer heat all day, it drains you. You come in exhausted, fatigued. And, and David's saying sins like that. Psalm 32, verse 10, same, same chapter. It says, many, not, not a few, many are the woes of the wicked. Like there's, there's not rest there. Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace. That, that word is Shalom. And, and, and it has more to do, it's, it's much more than just peace of mind, but, but shalom, it, it includes like this, this wholeness, a wholeness spiritually, a whole, wholeness physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, be, to be whole people. But there is no wholeness, says the Lord, for the wicked. Sin diminishes us. Sin weakens us. Why is that? Because sin always pays its wages. So there are two different masters, and you get to choose which one you want to serve. Each master pays different benefits, so just know what you're signing up for. And the third and final observation is that there are three different, two different destinies, two different destinies. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of sin's benefits are summed up in this phrase, eternal death. All of God's benefits are summed up in this one phrase, eternal life. And when we're talking about death, what, what kind of death are we talking about? We've talked more granular, death of confidence, death of relationship. It brings that death. So let's elevate to more of a, a higher level view. What, is, what kind of death does, does sin bring? And we could, could look at it in three different types of death. First is a physical death. The reason people die is because sin has contaminated our humanity. Here's what Hebrews 9.27 says. It says, says it's appointed for once a man to die, after that comes the judgment. So like I have, my days are numbered. It's, there's an appointed time when Tim will be no more. There's an appointed time. It's just true for all of us. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So when Adam sinned, sin entered our world. It invaded, it permeated, it, it distorted and as a result, death through sin. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. That's why we die physically. And it's, you just need to know that this wasn't originally part of God's design. Whenever we lose people we love, it feels very not normal. You need to know it was never a part of God's original design. So there's, there is a, a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. So physical death is separation from the living. Spiritual death is a separation from God. Ephesians 2, 1 says, as for you, you were dead. How? Physically? No, you were dead in your transgression and sin in which you used to live when you followed the way of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So this is a spiritual death. And Jesus would say this, that, that those who don't believe that God's wrath remains on them. Like not just one day when they die, but right now they're experiencing elements of God's, God's wrath. And so for the Christian, for those of you who are believers, those of you online who are followers of Jesus, those in the room, what that means is, is we are people who are once dead in our sin, but we've been made alive because of what Jesus has done 
for us. Spiritual death, separation from God. Then finally, eternal death. Eternal death is separation from the living and from God forever. This takes place in a place that the Bible calls hell. And I want to just share five terms that Jesus used to describe hell. And before we go there, you would need to know that hell was never created for you. Hell was a place that was created for the devil and his angels, the Bible says. And so it, 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 if it's horrifying, you just need to know it's, it's not for you. It's not for your family. It's not for your, the people you love. It's for the devil and his angels. But Jesus described hell in this way. Number one is darkness. It's a place of outer darkness. Jesus is light, and in him is the light of life. But hell is removed from all the good things of God, therefore it is always dark. And some people say, very ignorantly, I would suggest, that I'm looking forward to hell because it's going to be a party with my boys, right? You heard people say that, I can't wait because all my buddies are there. That's an ignorant perspective on hell because hell is a place of outer darkness. It's a place of isolation. It's like solitary confinement forever. Second, it's a place of weeping, place of heartache, place of regret, Third, it's a place of gnashing of teeth. We don't use that word a whole lot, but it could be in reference to a few things. Whenever in Acts, when they were stoning a guy, they were killing a guy named Stephen. Uh, the, the people that were killing him were so angry at the word Stephen says. It says that as they were hurling rocks at him, they were gnashing their teeth. It's a place of anger, probably anger with God. God, how could you do this to me? But probably anger with themselves. If I would have only, this could have been different. I wouldn't be here for all eternity. And I think it's a place, could be in relation to pain. Like if you've experienced extreme pain, it's like, oh, that hurts, right? Gnashing of teeth. Uh, fourth, fire and torment. And then fifth, it's eternal. It's eternal. Mark 9, 48, Jesus says it's a place where maggots never, never die. Where the fire never, never goes out. And in context, Jesus uses this, it's translated hell in verse 47, but the, the Greek word is Gehenna. And Gehenna was this trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And so there would constantly be fire burning to, to, to get rid of the trash. Uh, but it's a trash heap. So as you can imagine, there are maggots that are, are, are prevalent there. There are worms, there are, are rodents, there's everything that is gross on this trash heap. And, and Jesus used that mental image to describe this place called hell. It's a place where the fire never goes out, where the, the maggot never dies. It's continual forever. Back to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So what's eternal life? So that's what eternal death looks like. That's what, what, what death deals. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. What about eternal life? Here's what Jesus said, how he defined eternal life. John 17, 3 says, says now this is the eternal life. Let me, he's like, let me just shoot you straight. Here's what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's this relationship with God. And one of the greatest gifts that is continually given, not only in this life, but I would suggest in heaven throughout all of eternity, is this continual revelation of who God is. If you, one of the amazing things that we get to experience a little bit of heaven on here, here in earth, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, I think you would agree that the longer you follow Jesus, the more you, he revealed himself to you. 
That the more, the more you follow Jesus, the more you're like, I can't, wow, you're a really creative God. God, I'm amazed at how you continue to provide. I, I thought maybe you would run out of resources at some point, but, but you're, you're creative, God. You continue to provide. I'm amazed at your protection. I'm amazed, God, at your, the depth of your wisdom. Who can really understand the mind of God? And the longer you follow God, the more in awe of God you become. And one of the wonderful things about heaven is that God will continually reveal himself to us in ways we're unable to process, imagine, express, or comprehend on this side of eternity. Eternal life is Christians continually receiving gifts from God forever. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but God is a generous God. He's an incurable gift giving God, and he loves giving gifts to his kids. There'll never be a time in heaven when God's not giving out gifts. Revelation 21, three through five says this, describing heaven says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people for God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Now contrast that with hell, a place of constant weeping. Heaven, a place where there is no more sorrow. There, there is no more weeping. There will be no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain. For the older of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. I don't know about you, but I like new things. And in heaven, it's this place of continual renewal where God's always making new things, where the wisdom of God, the creation of God, it, it never is diminished. A billion years from now, you're not going to be like, heaven, this is my billionth birthday in heaven, and I'm so bored. That will never be your experience. Why? Because he's always making things new. He's a generous, gift-giving God. Ephesians 4.8 says, this is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It's this image of Jesus after the resurrection. He's rescued captives. He's ascended into heaven. He's got these, these, these captives following him into heaven. It's like this procession. But Jesus is such a gracious, gift-giving God. He's like, I just can't wait for heaven. So as he's ascending, he's like, you get a gift. You get a gift. You get a gift. He's dumping gifts. I don't ever thought about it that way, but that's amazing. This is our God. God is generous. God is our gracious gift giver. Ephesians 1.4, long before he laid the earth's foundation, he had us in mind and had settled on us the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Here's another way to look at sanctification. I don't know if you've ever seen a tornado or like footage of a tornado, like they're devastating. So if you've seen a tornado like before and after, like here's a house, neat, little cottage, tornado comes, decimated, right? Here's what sanctification is. It's like that, watching that footage in reverse. Sin destroyed, but God is making you whole again. How's he making you whole? He's saying, I just need you to look more like my son. He's making you whole and holy by his love. Don't we want that? Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in this. Before he created the world, you need to know he knew you. 
He, he had plans for your creation. You might have surprised your parents when you came, but you did not surprise God. Before he laid the foundation, he had you in mind. He had plans for your creation. He, he laid a pathway for you to experience justification at great sacrifice to himself. And then he orchestrated your steps. You thought maybe you were lost in the wilderness, but no, he was guiding you all along. So to bring you to this place of salvation, and not just to leave you at salvation, but to walk with you on this journey of sanctification so you can get rid of the contaminants of your life, so you can experience life overflowing with more life. And not only that, but he has plans for your glorification one day when you die. He, he takes such delight in you. He planned it long ago. And this is what we get to experience as followers of Jesus. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son, Isaiah 30, 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Do you have that revelation of God? Oftentimes we think of earthly experiences and we project those onto God. So if your father on earth was absent or maybe he was the type of guy that was always waiting for you to screw up so he could come in and discipline you. Oftentimes we project that onto God, but you need to know your heavenly father's not like that. He, he longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. David grasped this and he penned these words in Psalm 23. You prepare a feast. God's not just giving him a Lunchable. It's a feast. What a gift. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. What a gift. My cup overflows with blessings. When we, when's the last time you just pause and you began to write out all the benefits Jesus has poured into your life? How's he been good to you? How's he taking care of you? When did he show up for you when you didn't really think that he would? How does he, how's he provided for you? How has he rescued you? How has he restored your mind, your body? David says, when I think about that, I realize, man, the goodness of God is just overflowing in my life. My cup overflows with blessing. Not only is it overflowing currently, but it will continue to. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will chase after me. It's like, God, you're good. You're so good. You're such a gracious gift giving God. Your goodness is going to pursue me. Like as I go through my week, God, I'm, I can't wait to see how your love's going to ambush me when I least expect it. I can't wait to see the, the hand of your provision when I, when I don't even know it's coming. You pursue me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, certainly this is not the whole story of God, but it's a story that's too often left untold to his kids. He's a good God. He's a gracious gift giver and he's got good things for you. Ephesians 2, 7, now God, has us where he wants us. I think one of the reasons Luke 15 describes heaven erupting in celebration whenever just one person comes to God is because in that moment, God's got you right where he wants you. There was once separation between you and God, but now you're close to God. There, there was once, once this chasm in your relationship with God, but now, now you're in Christ. And now he can communicate with you. Now he can pour out gifts into your life. Now he can help you where you need help. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world. I like that. 
sometimes, too often, not sometimes, often I'm in a hurry. But in God's economy, all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. What's eternal life? Knowing God. What's eternal life? Allowing God, experiencing God showering you with gifts in your life. What's eternal life? Growing in your understanding of the goodness and the graciousness of God and experiencing that and enjoying his presence forever. Eternal life, more than a duration of time, more than a quantity of time, eternal life is more about a quality of existence. In heaven, there will never be a time when God's not giving gifts to his people. Before we close, I just want to show you one more thing. And I pray you'd never look at this verse again the same way. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. How do we experience that? How how do we take hold of that? How, How does that become your reality today? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why we make such a big deal of Jesus around here. Because it's really all about him. That's why we exist, to help people find and follow Jesus. Because without him, there's death. But with him, there's hope, there's life. Not just for now, but for all eternity. It's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you say, well, how do I get that? How do I take hold of, of Jesus? And you hear me quote this verse often, almost every week. I want to show it to you this week. Romans 10, 13, for everyone, not just some people, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to call. You've got to reach out to him. And remember, faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. That's a quote from Elton Trueblood, Stanford professor. Trust without reservation for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Let's pray.